Hey everybody, On the Run with Beards and Dunn is back after a little hiatus. We had to take a week off because Beards, what the heck were you doing in Laramie, Wyoming? Well, I was out in Laramie, Wyoming. The dean of the business college out there brought me out there to speak to all the incoming freshmen that are take are in the business, you know, part of it. <laughs> so I spoke to two different, uh, you know, a couple hundred kids, uh, two two different times out there, and even got a chance to go fly fishing one day. So that was a lot of fun. And I, so yeah, I'm, I'm sorry I'm laughing, but the business schools. <laughs> Dick, you and I had always talked about going into business. We decided that was probably not the best. Well, thing. yeah. Now, Don, let me back up a bit. It wasn't there to talk about being a successful business person. Trying to get these kids motivated, tell them life I stories. You. I know, I know. I know. I just so, had to do that. But, but Don, before we get into the show a little bit, hey, big congratulations to you and to, you know your wife Karen. I know tomorrow is a big day for both of you because. Uh, <laughs> Tomorrow's your last day, and then you're in retirement. We are, yeah. Karen and I are making it official tomorrow. It's our last day of work, and then we're retiring. We we actually sold our house last Saturday, and to a really nice couple that uh, are so excited that they found our house and just fell in love with it. And so, uh, yeah, it's been a whirlwind week here for us, you know, wrapping things up at work, and and we're going to uh, relocate. We're going to go out to Western North Carolina. Our daughter, Callie, and her husband, Jonathan, just had our first granddaughter, I Emily Hope. And so uh, we're going to be full-time grandpa and grandma. Even though we've been grandpa and grandma for Landon for 16 years, that dude's like 6'2 and right. 175 now. And so I forgot what it's like to have a little baby grandchild. And so we're, we're super, super well, excited. Well, Don, and listen, thanks for uh, mentioning that. you're, you're going to be very well missed. I know it's been, what, 35-plus years as you know, in the cardiac rehab, uh, <laughs> and you've been director there at the hospital in Newburn for what 11 years 11, or so. Yeah. And I tell you what, they're losing one heck of a good oh. guy. I mean, because you are, you know, uh, I can't see anybody that could do a better job and is nice and and uh, try to work with everybody. So, congratulations to you and Karen. <laughs> Thanks, but no, everybody's been just super about it. Yeah, it's bittersweet. It you is know, uh, sure. when, you, when you do something for a living that. You, you know, when you do something you love, you never have to go to work. You know, you just go do what you enjoy doing. And I think I'm preaching to the choir there with you, Dick. I was giving <laughs> Dick a hard time before we started recording that his work is most people's retirement. Right. <laughs> going, going fishing, taking people out fishing. And, yeah. And, you know, and that's so cool. And, and so, yeah, we're, we're going to go be coming out to do some fishing with the yeah, Absolutely. Well, hey, let's get going here because... Man, I have been anticipating this episode ever since we started doing these podcasts right. because, you know, just to follow your career, both of our careers, you know, through running and all the things that's meant to us and stuff. And and so I actually put on our website uh, yesterday or today, and it's on Facebook, is some photos of the Boston in 82. And I put in the introduction, I said, you know, in 1978, you know, Beards, you're just finishing up junior college. Right. And just happened to get the opportunity to come out to South Dakota State University and that's when we got to meet and just right. had a great, you know, time running and 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 you know getting fired up about running. And here we are now, four man, four years. I mean, that goes by in a blink of an eye. You're lining up at the Boston Marathon, facing the world record holder of right. the marathon, Alberto Salazar, on the biggest stage in marathoning world right. is Boston. And um, you had kind of had that roller, that ride, that, that PR, PR, PR. And so, you know, I have some questions. You know, we kind of talked about your training. You went to Heartbreak Hill, ran up and down it in the blizzard. Right. And, and that was awesome. And, and then, you know, 
you ran a 10K in Atlanta and won that. That had to really be a, a boost to your confidence. It was, so definitely. Your training was coming around. You were healthy. All right, let's get into this. When did you, when the, when did you leave to go to Boston? Yeah, so I flew up um, from Atlanta on the Thursday before Boston. So, if, you know, a few it's days a Monday. out. Yeah. And, you know, people ask me this all the time. So, Beards, what, what kind of appearance money did you get? I said, appearance money? I said, I didn't get a nickel. They go, well, what kind of prize money did you win? I go, prize money? There was no prize money back then. I said, the only thing I got that was um, given to me from the Boston Athletic Association, who the BAA, who puts on the race, was a free entry. And the entries back then, I, if I remember right, were like either eight or ten bucks. <laughs> <laughs> that was like that was hundreds of dollars. I would right. assume. Oh yeah. So so done. I I fly in there Thursday morning, and I'm in my hotel at the Sheraton. I think is where they had me stand. And New Balance picked up all my tab for everything. So you know the news out there doesn't come on until eleven o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. So I'm laying in bed half asleep, and I've got the television on. And I'm kind of half listening, and all of a sudden they go, they're they're talking about some story, and all of a sudden they go, oh, we're going to Logan Airport, Alberto Salazar, his plane just landed and is coming off the plane. Well, that was back, you know, you could have reporters right up at the gate, you know. <laughs> so all of a sudden I my interest perks up. So I'm sitting up in bed now, and Alberto comes off the plane, and he's got all these mics in his face, you know, and TV cameras, and a reporter says, so Alberto, why did you decide to run the Boston Marathon this year for the first time ever? He says, well, I looked at the field and I knew there was nobody that could beat me. Oh, done, <laughs> man. I'm telling you, I shot up out of bed and I had adrenaline coming out my ears. And I thought, son of a buck, that guy, I mean, he's the world record holder and he'd never been beaten, but still, you know, the marathon, like Bill Rogers, our good friend, has said many times, it's a race that can humble you pretty oh, quickly. So I, I don't think I went, I don't think I could fall asleep until about three <laughs> o'clock in the morning after that. I'm surprised that. you didn't get your stuff on and go out for a run or oh, something I like that. I felt like it. I did. I, I felt like it. So now, so I wake up the next morning. So we're, <laughs> you know, I, I, I did it like a seven mile run and, uh, and then a little short little shake that afternoon. And then that was Friday. So then Saturday, I did a five-mile run, and then Sunday, I went out and did just a short two or three miles with all my sweats on and just jogged. And the reason I always wore my sweats that day before, I, I, I ran very slow, and I really just kind of a shakeout, and I just wanted to get a good, nice kind of a, a sweat going right. without putting too much effort into it. And then I would come back, and the, the little bit of stretching I would do, I would, you know, I was a lot more limbered up at that point. All right. I would also think too, just you know, wearing your sweats, your trainers, and the next day you're putting on your racing shoes and your singlet, right. you know, and it's just like you go from one extreme, and man, you must have had, the, you know, your batteries are pretty fully charged. You had great training, a, a taper. Yes. And, and so now we're rolling. That's Sunday, and now I, I kind of forget. You know, the marathon is Monday. Right. And it starts at what time? At noon. But done. <laughs> I need to back up a little bit. So about by about Friday, all of a sudden, I went into my shell like a uh, turtle hiding from a raccoon, you know. And you know how I used to get. And yeah. I just I didn't want to talk to anybody. Even, you know, my first wife, Mary, 
you know, and she knew what to expect and stuff. I mean, I, I'd go down the back way so you know of the hotel so people wouldn't see me. And sometimes I'd walk by people I knew without even noticing them, and Mary would be right behind me, say, "Ah, oh, it's okay, you know, he's in that mode." And I just, I was, I didn't want to talk to anybody or anything like that. So the night, so Sunday afternoon, I get a knock on my door at the hotel, and. I look through the little peephole and I see it's a, I won't mention his name. I, it's this guy I know from another shoe company, an executive. And so I open it up and he goes, Dick, he goes, listen, Greta White's and her husband Jack are upstairs in their room. They, 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 they want to just wish you luck tomorrow and talk to you a little bit. And, and I knew Greta and Jack and I, I just really didn't want to go. And I told him, ah, nah, I, you know, I'm just kind of too focused right now. And anyhow, he finally convinced me. So I went up there and, and, uh, met with Jack and Greta Whites and, and, you know, they ran for a particular shoe company that this gentleman that knocked on my door worked for. And so they're, they're, you know, they're, they're basically filling me full of all this information on how to grade a shoe company it is and stuff like that. So I finally, yeah, they're trying to recruit you. Yeah. Sounds like. And, and uh, so the next day or later that day, I go back to the room then and, and cause Greta was running also, well, about an hour or so later, a knock on the door and this executive it's him again so i let him in and, and i really didn't want to talk to him but he goes dick here's the deal if you wear our shoes and a singlet tomorrow i'll i'll give you twenty five thousand dollars right now and he said and i promise you no matter how you do tomorrow in the race we'll sign you to a long-term deal well i tell you when those words came out of his mouth, if I could have slammed that door in his face, I would have. I thought, how could, could you imagine Dunn, mm. New Balance, who took a chance with me when I was a nobody, if I had showed up the next morning or the next afternoon on the starting line wearing a different shoe company singlet and wearing their a different shoe company shoes, I mean, I, my name would have been dirt. So yeah. I basically kind of slammed the the door on him and now you got to remember my contract i did have with new balance at the time had run out on april 1st oh so you wouldn't have been in violation if you did it no they couldn't have sued you no i wouldn't <laughs> have been but and i wasn't worried about it you know my right. focus then was getting ready for right. the race and we'll deal with everything after that so i you know we went out to the uh north town of mary and i went out to the north end of boston had a real nice pasta you know meal about six o'clock, came back and uh, was you know back my my routine at night was always having a a bag of fig newton cookies next to the bed because you know I'd always still get I was always hungry and the fig newtons were you know high in energy and they right. they seemed to go through me pretty well and everything so I finally I didn't sleep very good obviously I was up and down up and down drinking lots of water and so finally I get up and. Uh, about seven o'clock in the morning. So I walk over to the window in the hotel room and I pull back the shades, hoping to see cloudy skies, a little bit of mist maybe, and a tailwind. Well, I pull back the drapes and there's nothing but blue sky. And I see this big orange ball coming up out of the Eastern horizon. So I go back to the television and I turn on the Today Show and People our age will know who this was, but Willard Scott was a longtime <laughs> weather guy for them. We all know who Willard oh, Scott yeah. was if you're over a certain so age. Yeah. Willard comes on to do the weather, and he goes, 
It's going to be a great day in Boston for the marathon. Sunshine and 80 degrees. <laughs> great day to watch the marathon. <laughs> well, you look at Willard, you can tell he'd never run a marathon before. <laughs> so I started drinking lots and lots of fluids. Well, at 7.15 done. Now, remember, the race doesn't start till noon. I, right. Here's where I think I made a, maybe a little bit of a mistake. Yeah, I was all, you know, us as runners, we're all concerned about, you know, having to stop halfway through the race and go oh, to the bathroom sure. or something, you know. Yeah. And so here's what I had for breakfast. I had a slice and a half of dry toast and a cup of hot chocolate. That was it. Mm. So basically, and I'd eat my big meal at six o'clock the night before. I almost, I, I kind of fasted for like 18 hours, oh, Lord. you know? So <laughs> now you got to remember this is back in the day when, if you were an invited athlete, they didn't have a big bus to take you up to the start. You kind of had to get your way up there. So the New Balance guys, one of the guys that works for them, said, hey, Beards, we'll pick you up in the station wagon out in front at, you know, like, I don't know what time it was, 10 o'clock in the morning or maybe 9.30, I think it was. All right. And I said, oh, yeah, okay. So anyhow, I, I get, you know, the morning of the race, I get out to the front of the hotel and I see the station wagon. Well, there's like 10 guys jammed in that station wagon. And the only place there is at all for me to ride is back in that very back part where you'd put your suitcases, you know. Right. So I crawled through the back window. At the cargo area. And I'm sitting in that little cubby spot back there. But, I'm, but part of me was thinking, well, this is okay because I don't have to talk to any of these guys because I was still so focused. Right. Well, we started heading to Hopkinton, and the back window didn't wouldn't come up all the way so man by the time i get to hopkinton i'm greening the gills because all the fumes were coming right back <laughs> into, right back into me i know what that's like mark bills and i we, we when we were in college i'm sorry to, we rode no. in the back we always took station wagons and we went out to black hill state university and jay dirkson oh, none of us have been to mount rushmore i was a farm kid we couldn't go all the way out there right to see mount Rush we never seen it. Mike and Mark Bills had never seen it. And so Jay Dirksen drove us there. Mike and Mark and I sat in that back where you just described. Yes. And they had the window down because they are, I don't think they had air conditioning. Probably and, not. Oh man. I remember Mark puke. <laughs> when we got there, he was so, he was so gassed from the exhaust. I felt like puking. Anyway, so that's what, so kind of a, a two-edged sword. Nice to be back there by yourself, right. but sucking down fumes. Exactly. So, right. so right. now we, we get up to Hopkinton and again, back then, they didn't have any place for the invited runners to go. You just had to hang it around. And <laughs> and so Coach Squires had gone up a few days earlier and just started knocking on people's doors to see if they had a room I could, you know, maybe just camp out in until the start of the race. So the night before, you know, Coach, um, he says, Dickie, here's some directions on how to get to this lady's place, you know. And so, um, I, you know, I get up to Hopkinton and I, pull out this piece of paper i think it was again a beer stained napkin from the elliot lounge <laughs> and so i'm 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 looking at these directions and he you know made little illustrations and so i think gosh this looks like the house so i go up and i i knock on the door and this little old lady she opens the door and she goes you must be dick i go yes ma'am i am so she brings me in and she closes the door and there's a steep stairway going right up from the entrance so she she starts going up there and she turns back and she takes my hand. And so she's leading me up these stairs. So we get to the very top and she opens this door. And I and I start to walk through into there and I it's dark as can be. There's two candles 
and some of that smelly incense stuff blowing or burning. So she walks in there with me, holding my hand. I get through the door, and she kind of kicks it shut. And my first thought is thinking, I'm dead. I'm I'm never going to see the light of day again. (laughs) That is she had something else in mind, and we're not going to talk about that. And so she goes, Dick, she goes, this was my son's room when he lived here, you know, many years ago. And she goes, you can... Use the whole room, the bed, whatever you want. I, she goes, I left a pitcher of water over there for you and, uh, and a glass. She goes, and then she gives me a big hug and wishes me luck. And she walked out the door and I said, wow. thank you very much. And I, I never saw her again. That's so but, cool. But done. I got to back up just a moment. <laughs> so the night before the race, coach knocks on my door and I let him in. He goes, Dickie. And he had a, a paper New Balance painter's cap, which was, you know, big back then but you know me i never wore a cap to yeah. run in other than a, in the winter time you know he says dicky take this new balance cap cut a bunch of holes in the top of it and wear it he said that white cap will reflect the sun a little bit and he said if anybody's handing ice out there take that cap put the ice in the cap and then put it back on your head well heck who's going to argue with coach if he would have right. said hey before the start of the race <laughs> whack your head against a telephone pole 10 times i would have done it so <laughs> So anyhow, I'm drinking water like bad out of heck at about 1130. So a half hour before the start, I thought, you know, I better go out and jog and a little bit. So I leave this gal's, this older lady's house and I start jogging and I'm thinking and done. The water was swishing around in my (laughs) stomach, but I thought, well, that's good. You know, at least I've got well hydrated. So now I'm about 15 minutes till the start. So I, I start heading towards the finish line, and I all of a sudden, done, I panic. There Now, back then, there were 7,000 runners that year, which right. that was a lot of runners. Oh, yeah. But I'm at the very back, and I've got to get through 7,000 runners. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, my God, I've been training this for this race for six months, and now I not, might not even make it to the starting line in time. So I was wearing a New Balance shirt over my singlet. And I'm trying to fight through the crowd and nobody, I, I go, I got to get to the front. I got to get to the front. And I'm lifting up my number. I go, I got number three. And then somebody, somebody recognized me and they go, it's Dick Beardsley. And done. it was like the parting of the Red <laughs> Sea for Mo, when, you know, with Moses. And all of a sudden this lane opened up and I got right to the front. And so now I'm start, I'm standing on the front row and man, I am. I feel like a caged tiger. So the starter's standing off to the right, and they got this big, gosh dang, rope all across that front line to hold us back. And, of course, my thought is, oh, my gosh, they better get that rope out of there. If they don't, I'm going to be the only one that wraps around like a python. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to fall over the rope. Right. So the starter, he puts up his pistol, and he goes, one minute and i look to my right and i see alberto salazar i look to my left i see bill rogers i see all these other world-class athletes and i'm scared and nervous when all of a sudden done i feel a tap on my shoulder and i look behind me and about two rows back but we're all bunched together you know is you know you know barney clecker joe's joe clecker's dad joe clecker's dad And, and barney was at one time for many years the world record holder for the 50 miler and Barney goes to me, he goes, he goes, Dick, did you double tie your shoes? 
I go, no, Barney, I never double tie my shoes. <laughs> so I turn back around. We're like, you know, 30 seconds 30 from seconds, the start. Yeah. He taps me on the shoulder again. Dick, you really need to double tie your shoes. And I, now I'm mad. <laughs> mad for me. And I turn and go, Barney, I don't double tie my shoes. And I look, I, so I turn back. All of a sudden I thought, what the heck do I feel kind of down around my feet? And I, when I look back, I was going to apologize to Barney, and he wasn't there. And I look down, there, Barney's down on his knees, double tied. I love that story. Yo, do you ever, that, that is awesome. He was so concerned. He knew you were going to go out there and nail it. And I think he just didn't want any, any reason, any excuse, nothing and done. to slow you down. You know what? Honest to gosh, ever since that race, I never ran another training run or a race without double tying my shoes. <laughs> it worked, dude. So, that is great. All right. So, okay. Are you ready for the start? Yeah. Okay. So, pistol goes off and Alberto just shoots out of there like a rocket and I'm right along his left side. So, we go through the first mile in four minutes and 33 seconds <laughs> and I'm hanging on for dear life. And, no. you know, yeah. when you're hanging on for dear life and you still got 25.2 <laughs> miles to go. Now, Beards, I got to break a little bit. I remember, boss, in the next year, I went, I went right. through five flat. And I yeah. thought I was hauling butt. You, you were. Know, yeah. But then you go, wait a minute. I, 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 so 431 is just like off the charts. But all right, go ahead. So, uh, you know, and I felt, you know, I hit that first mile and I just felt terrible. But I thought, you know, I, 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 I just kind of, Set yeah. it aside and thought it's just some nerves. And I get to mile two and I felt worse and done. I hit mile three and I and remember I felt so bad at that point that the first thought to cross my mind was to, to drop out. And I look back on that, how different my life would be today if I had, you know, done that. Done. We probably wouldn't be doing our show. You know, when you say you felt so bad, was it just, I just didn't feel in sync? No, exactly. Breathing, your breathing. Everything every, done. Yeah, everything my, my breathing, my stride, yeah. my arms felt heavy, my legs felt heavy. <laughs> and you're three miles into the yeah, marathon. Three miles in. <laughs> but I again, I thought, no, you, Dick, you can't drop out. You've worked too hard for this. So I get to mile four. Well, I didn't feel any better, but I didn't feel any worse. And so that <laughs> point was a huge confidence builder for me. Right. Done. It took me by five miles. Finally. I started to get into that rhythm. My legs started feeling good and popping. My arms felt good. My breathing was down. And that day there was an estimated one and a half million spectators lining the streets. And now back then there was no crowd control. I mean, there was no fencing up or anything like that. And it's probably one of the first beautiful spring days they'd had in Boston. So the crowds were thick. So we're going along and Coach Choir says, Dickie, I don't want you doing anything. For the first half, you just sit in that pack, you know. So I'm in this pack, and it we were probably maybe 10, 12 of us, something like that. So I can't remember the name of the town, but we're going through a town by where where Alberto grew up, you know, and where he, you know, lived most of his life. So we're and so we're coming through this little town, and there's people hanging out the windows. There's banners, people with signs, "Go Alberto, go Alberto." Well, we're running right next to each other, kind of leading this lead pack, you know. And all of a sudden, Alberto's on my left, and I, all of a sudden I get a little shot in my ribs. And I look over at Alberto, and he kind of gives me this wry little look, and he turns to the all the people on the left side and starts waving to him. 
And then he turns back to me and gives me this little smirky smile. I'm thinking, oh, that son of a gun. He's trying to mentally get on top of me. So I thought, okay, I, I can't, I got to even the playing field here. So I thought, what am I going to do? So just before we, we exit this little town, there's people on the right side, too, cheering for him and signs and banners. So I give Alberto a little shot in his ribs, and he looks over at me, and I start waving to all the people on the right side that were rooting for him. And I, I look back at Alberto, and he just kind of turned his head, and I thought, okay, now we're back to square one. A little gamemanship going on here. Oh, yeah, a little gamemanship. So as each mile went by, I remember now it was down to about six or eight, and I remember... We, we ran by this little lake that was out on our right, and there was a, a couple out there in a canoe. And I remember Bill Rogers turned to me and goes, Dick, man, sure would be a lot nicer to be out there pedaling <laughs> that canoe than running down this hot street, wouldn't it? And I kind of chuckled a little bit, you know. Yeah, and and yeah. Bill ran a heck of a race. You know, he wasn't – he didn't like the hot weather and stuff. And, and, and did uh, he admit to us that he had ran uh, a marathon like two weeks earlier? Was that that I can't year? remember I what he, he told said. Me that he ran Montreal, or he went for the money. Oh yeah, to, and he, he you know, kind of. I, I think he knew coming up against. I don't know Alberto and you. Well, and being a hot day too. Uh, yeah. And plus, you know, Bill, you know, Bill's eight, seven and a half years older than me. So, so. when you were twenty six, he was yeah. in his well, thirty three or thirty two yeah, so, or something. You know, you know his his last big race, I think, was you know he won the Montreal Marathon in late eighty two and. Yeah, and then, you know, his two, those 211s and 212s started slipping away a little bit. Right. But anyway. So, anyhow, um, now remember back then there were no aid stations on the course. You just got water from spectators. <laughs> and you and hope so, they were nice people. Well, yeah, so done. I would, I would run by somebody that was holding a cup out, and I, I'd grab a cup and I'd look at it. And if it looked like it was nice and clear, I'd drink it. <laughs> if it looked a little iffy, I just poured it on my head, on my cap. So, we're coming now down into Lower Newton Falls at about 15 and a half, 16 miles. Big downhill into this town. Mm. Well, you know, Rogers, Bill was a great downhill runner, and he takes off, and he put about 100 yards on me, Alberto, and Ed Mendoza. Yeah. There were four of us left in that league group. So we come down, we get down the hill, and then people forget about this hill. You know, when you... When you climb out of Lower Newton Falls, it's a long grind all the way up to Commonwealth Avenue. Now, it's not real steep, but it's all uphill. And so halfway up that grind, we caught Bill and we dropped him. So now it's down to three. So now we get to the 17-mile point. We're just getting ready to turn on to Commonwealth Avenue. And I kind of I looked at Alberto and I thought I was just kind of measuring everybody up. And I, I looked at Alberto and I'm thinking, Gosh darn, he looks pretty good. And I looked at over at Mendoza. And I'm thinking, man, he looks really good. And you know, I felt okay. Well, we take that right-hand turn at 17 miles onto Commonwealth Avenue, and all of a sudden, Mendoza's gone. He drops out. Yep. So now it's down to the two of us. So I remember Coach Squires told me, he goes, Dickie, this is before the race. If you're in that league group when you hit the hills, I want you to run every one of them up as hard as you can. And on the downside, even harder. Hmm. Also, like a good soldier listening to his commander, man, I hit the first hill and tried to shake Alberto, and I couldn't. Same with the second, same with the third. And now I'm at the base of the infamous Heartbreak Hill. 
And so I start going up that thing as hard as I can. And I remember I get, I get about halfway up done. And I see this wheelchair athlete going up the hill. Now, you got to remember, we're talking 41-plus years ago. The wheelchairs the racers used <laughs> back then, it, it, it looks like well, they were a hospital wheelchair. Exactly. They, yeah. So I, I look ahead, and I see this guy about 40 yards up in front of me. And he, he's just pushing the best he can. And I'm thinking, he misses one stroke. He's going back to the bottom of the hill. <laughs> so he was off to the left side of the road. He so inspired me. I ran over to his side. I patted him on the back and said, good job, buddy. And, and Alberto followed me right over. He didn't pat the guy on the back. <laughs> well, the video, and then I ran back over to the right side. Well, there's that video on YouTube called Duel in the Sun. It's about a nine-minute yes. clip. And there's a shot of you doing that. Yes. And, don't, you know, and the first few times I watched it, it's like, what? What, it's hard to notice. Yeah, well, you notice it. And you go, what? What did Dick just do? Yeah, right. <laughs> did he smuck that guy in the back? Of <laughs> no. But you know, I I think that's pretty commendable. So now let me just kind of get in your head for a second. You were under control to the point where you're like, hey, that guy's out here working just as hard as I am, and he's yes. you know, what, what an inspiration. Yeah, I can run. He can't, but he's still going to do the Boston Marathon anyway. I'm going to go over, you know, because you you could have just said. I'm not even going to acknowledge this person. I'm going to not. But so you were feeling pretty good. I was feeling good going through the hills. And seriously, done. That guy so inspired me. Nice. And even yeah. the new wheelchairs now, it probably still would. But I'm, I mean, I'm looking at a guy going up a mile-long heartbreak hill in a hospital wheelchair. And <sighs> he's just working his tail off. And it, it, it inspired me. It's it really amazing. did. You know, and if anybody gets a chance, go to YouTube and type in Duel in the Sun. And it'll bring that nine-minute clip up. And just what you were talking about earlier, Beards, every shot. And they do a lot of – the technology isn't near what it is today. No. And the helicopter shots, you can barely pick you and Alberto out. But you right. had that white hat on. It really helped. That helped. You can see. And you're always ahead of Alberto. But the crowds, I am not kidding, seven, eight, nine, ten oh. people deep – Crazy. And the other thing, and you maybe didn't know it, I wonder how many bicyclists there were. I, oh. mean, I mean, nowadays, those guys would be drug out of there, you know, <laughs> thrown in the hooshkow or something. At one point, with a with a less than a mile to yeah. go, I've seen this picture. There must have been 75 bicyclists. Oh, at least. Uh, 50 to 100, easy. Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> and John Lodwick, who finished third... You know, about three and a half, four minutes back. If he would have been close oh, enough he, to try to make a move, there's no way. How we don't have got through those bikers. I don't no, know. But, no. Now, and so kind of going back to, you know, nowadays we have goo and, and different, uh, or you know, concoctions. Right. You had none of that. None of that. No orange slices. Nothing. No, uh, I mean, the only fluid you got was if, if, and did you say you had a few New Balance guys out there that so handed up at, a few bottles? Somewhere when I got into the hills, Twice, two, and Alberto and I were now together, right. um, running. Everybody else was behind us, and I didn't know they were going to do this. But a couple of New Balance guys jumped out of the crowd and handed me a water bottle nice. with water in it, yeah. and so I drank some, squirted some on my head, and then I I offered it to Alberto. And of the two times I got a bottle, he took it one of the times and took a short little sip, and then just kind of sprayed his head off too you know you shouldn't have done that dick i'm, I'm just telling you right now <laughs> maybe, maybe that <laughs> made the difference at the end. it might have made all the difference in, well we don't want to give the end away no all right so um you're you're you know correct me if i'm wrong your top heartbreak kill yes about 20 it's around 20 yeah. 20 and a half something like that yep 
and you guys are still together. So I'm in the lead, but Alberto's right behind me. And I, because I get to the top and I'm running up that thing as hard as I can to try to shake him. And I get to the top and I looked over my shoulder and he's like right in my back pocket. So you know what it's like, Don. There's that nice gradual downside (laughs) on the other side. And I remember coach told me, he said, man, you know, run those downhills as hard as you can. So honestly, Don, I, I felt like I was doing the 100 meter dash, trying to break away. And I remember getting back down to the bottom where it kind of flattened out. And I didn't even have to look back to see if Alberto was there. I could hear him breathing. Yeah, he's right in your pocket. And at that yeah. point, it was a little deflating, to be honest with you. Sure. And I, I, couldn't, know, I couldn't feel my legs anymore. And hmm. the thought of having to run, you know, four and a half, five more miles at the pace we were running, done, it was almost making me sick to my stomach. You, had you ever had that sensation before? No. I didn't think no. so. I, I, no, I never. Yeah. And But, but here's what kind of kept me going is – Alberto, the last way he wanted to run a race was sitting off of somebody's shoulder. He liked to be in control. Right. And I'd been in control now for the last five miles or better. And, you know, in front and him right behind me. So I knew he probably was hurting a little bit too. Right. And, and then, you know, we didn't have the goose and stuff. But, you know, I've told this story many times. The one thing we do have, as long as we can they're still above ground is that wonderful stuff. The good Lord gave us between our ears called the brain. And so now I'm starting to play brain games and mind games. I'm thinking, okay, I don't have any goo. I'm out of, I can't feel my legs. I don't know if I can run five more miles at this pace, but I know, I know I can run one more mile. So my brain just kind of kicked me out of that mode of having to run five more miles. And all, all I had to do was run one more mile. So done. Now all of a sudden, the task at hand, it didn't seem so difficult. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Right. <laughs> okay. And so that's what I did. So I get to mile 22, and I still got that lead, and, and 23, and and 24, and, and, and <sighs> well, somewhere between 23 and 24, there's this big shadow comes over us, and there's not a cloud in the sky. <laughs> well, here the press bus couldn't get through to the finish at the top of heartbreak because the crowds were so big. So they came barreling right down the road and it actually brushed my right shoulder. And I remember as it went by, I took my right fist and I just smashed it into the side of the, of the bus and it went up a little uphill. And when it downshifted, this blue flume of smoke and oil came back into Alberto's and I's face. So that goes by and I don't know, within the next half mile or so, all of a sudden done. This guy in a black trench coat, he runs out onto the course and he grabs my shorts and he had a handful of dollar bills and he's tried stuffing them in my shorts. It's on the video. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I kind of whacked him or tried to, and then he tried stuffing them in Alberto's pants. And nobody was, ever figured out what this dude was up to, was he? No. It's like a protest. I, 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 don't, I don't know, know what it was. And um, so, so now... Now we're down to where it's a mile to go, because yeah. it says it right on there. Twenty, you're at twenty-five point two miles, one mile to go, and the crowd. So oh, done. Yeah. The crowd, the last three, four miles, they were so loud that what the the what hurt most on my body it was not my feet, my legs, arms. It was my ears. They were they were just ringing with the noise. I, I can't even describe what it was like. They were going crazy because 
with about four or five miles to go, people are listening on their transistor radios, you know, down the course. And they're, they're hearing this race about these two young American boys yep. duking it out from the get-go. And so I really kind of noticed that about the last four miles or so, they weren't just cheering for Alberto. They weren't just cheering for me. They were actually kind of cheering for both yeah, of us. for sure. Because it was such an exciting race. Well, the so video, now we're the, down. Yeah, the video shows that, and the crowd is just so thick. And, you know, when you watch this video, I, I get emotional every time. I've watched it. I a, do, too. I've watched it a couple hundred times. And it shows the clock. And it says 2.03. And I'm thinking, Jesus, Birds is still <laughs> leading. And I know he's going to, I know what your finishing time is going to be. And I'm thinking, it's within a mile of the finish now. And the right. crowd's going nuts. And then the video doesn't, they kind of break away because the, yes. the camera on this lead vehicle had to get to the finish, I guess. And they start kind of pulling away, and you don't really get a good view of it, but you can tell what happened. Yeah, so I, with about 900 meters or so to go, I had a, you know, maybe an arm or two arm length lead. Right. And, and I knew Alberto didn't have a great finishing kick, but I knew he had a lot better one than I had. So I thought, man, Richard, you got to, okay, you have nothing left, but you got something left. You got to. And so I remember pushing off with my right leg to try to get one last hard surge to, break open that gap and oh done i got the biggest gosh dang charlie horse in my right hamstring you could see it like you know bulging out almost <laughs> through my skin i mean i remember it sent me right up in the air and alberto went flying by me like i was standing still so done i went from one's you know one moment thinking i'm gonna win this 1982 boston marathon to now all of a sudden am i gonna even finish mm. done I thought I was having a bad nightmare. Honest to gosh, I thought I was in the movie theater watching The Exorcist again. <laughs> well, you know, on the video, it shows it. it. You're in the lead, and the next thing, they kind of, you lose, you guys kind of get lost in the crowd right. with the, the motorcycles, and then, then it's kind of, and Alberto's like, oh, I don't know, 30 yards ahead of you, and, and pulling away, and then they right. go to an overhead shot, and you, oh. can, and you can see Alberto you know, leaving you because you got your hat on, Right. And yeah, we're talking what eight hundred meters to go, and 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 they go, oh, Alberto Salazar has just made his move, and right. I think- he didn't make no move. Here's, <laughs> I hit that gosh dang pothole, oh, so I I'm running along the right hand side, trying to you know work the crap out the best I can as far as to run. Well, the crowd moved back to let me come by, and my right foot come down into a pothole I didn't see. <laughs> And I hit that pothole, and it just kind of jerked my leg. I pretty or tipped over, but it popped the knot out. So I got my stride back, and I remember looking behind me. That's when I saw the bicyclers right <laughs> behind me. Yeah. And and I looked back up ahead, and I could see the you know seven, eight motorcycle state troopers surrounding Alberto. And I thought, you know, if I get second and give it my best shot, you know, I can. You hold my head up, but if I if I don't give it everything I got, I'm going to regret it. And done honestly, I started pumping my arms and lifting my legs. And the good Lord must have wanted to see an exciting finish <laughs> because I had never had a gear at that point ever in a race. And especially at the end of a race in a marathon. And I'll never forget this. So we... we we take a right-hand turn off of, off of Commonwealth Avenue onto Hereford. And when you watch the video, this oh. is, to me, Bob um, Who is the guy LaBelle. doing the call? Okay, yeah. Bob LaBelle, he takes over the, the call, and he goes, Alberto Salazar, 
presumably is going to win the 1982 yeah. Boston Marathon. Got the Marathon race in his pocket. And, <laughs> and he's out dueled Dick Beardsley. Well, about that time, here I come around the corner. Right. But then all of a sudden he goes, but watch Beardsley. He's making a move, but the motorcycle's <laughs> got to get out of the and way. And Catherine Switzer and Coach Squires are on with him as color commentators. They've kind of lost it. You know, they, they're, right. Their their composure as professional oh, reporters. Coach almost fell off the building, <laughs> I was told. And Catherine Switzer is like, oh, my gosh. I mean, she's yeah. just freaking out because you, you know, and Beers, I've ran, I, I'm not breaking, I've ran like 11 marathons. So trust right. me. When somebody drops you at the end of a marathon, I don't think oh, anybody ever comes back from no. that unless the guy ahead of you, you know, falls off the end. Right. And so when you were coming back on Alberto, and I just remember he was he looked back. And yes. I, I, I wish I could have seen the look on his face. Oh, and I was flying down. <laughs> oh, yeah. No doubt. And, and you so, come into that last left-hand turn. Well, so we get up to the top of the hill, and we had to make one last left-hand turn. Now, back then, you finished right out front of the Prudential Insurance Building. Right. And then when John Hancock became the um, the sponsor in the what mid '90s or something or '80s, whenever it was, they moved the the start up and the finish line back. So when you made that left that last left hand corner, it was about 150 yards to the finish line. 200 at the most. At yeah, the most. At the most. Yeah. So I remember, you know, I had to. The motorcycles didn't know I was back in the race, right. so a couple of them kind of moved off to the right. Well, you know, I I tell you. Done. I've never, you know me, I've never ever used that as an excuse or anything like that. But I tell you, the next morning in the Boston Globe, I had, there were some articles that said I had tire tracks on my back. <laughs> they didn't help you, that's for sure. No, but, no. And it didn't, it did impede your progress because you, know, you were just coming up on Alberto's shoulder and you had to yes. take that extra step out of out right. To the right. If I could have, uh, if I they know. wouldn't have been there because I was flying and I could have made that sharp left turn right. I wonder if you would have taken the inside corner. I probably. I don't and, know. And so, you know, I had to kind of go out around the motorbikes a little bit. And, and I got around them without any problem. And I, I'm just about catching back up to Alberto. And I remember, I remember thinking, here's where I think I made a mistake. Hmm. So I'd worked so hard to catch back up to him. And I thought, okay, you, if, once you get even with him, just relax uh, <laughs> relax just for a moment catch your breath and then start sprinting and as soon as i got up to his side bam he went right into that gosh dang you know yeah. finishing sprint that he's used to in track and by the time i responded I, I i just ran out of room and and i remember coming across the finish line alberto won ran two hours eight minutes and 51 seconds i ran Two hours, eight minutes, and fifty-two point six seconds, which they, of course, round up to two hundred eight fifty-three, and done. I remember. Well, first off, if that race would have been another two hundred yards, I don't know if either Alberto or I would have finished, mm. honestly. And if there had not been volunteers in the finish line, we would have both been laying on the ground. But done. So I, I come across the finish line. And I look up, and I can still read the see the clock reading two oh eight and change, and I'm thinking, I've never been so excited about anything <laughs> in my life. Half of me, and the other half, had never been so disappointed. I'm thinking, I just ran a two oh eight marathon, but I got second. second. <laughs> you know, it's the first time in history it ever happened that two right. runners broke two oh nine in the same race, and 
And I remember Coach Squires was losing it. He was trying to do the math in his head. He goes, oh, then, uh, the, I think it's <laughs> yeah. like Sticky up uh, number, number, number two ever. Yeah, number two. Uh, it was number four ever or right. something like that. And he was, you know, everybody that was involved in that. Beards, I got to tell you, my my you know, only thing I'm going to mention is I was at Athletic Attic. I had to, to work at Monday. It wasn't right. a holiday in South Dakota. And we were all, we didn't have live, you know, they didn't show the Boston Marathon on sure. network TV on, on an afternoon on a Monday in the U.S. or in anywhere right. as far as I know. But my boss, uh, Neil Graff, was a former pro football player. And so he had, had, he was an outstanding athlete. And so he had a lot of connections in the news media because they interviewed him all the time. <laughs> when he's, right. And so he and his wife knew of some sports guys newscasters like over at Kello or KSFY, the yeah. local ABC, NBC affiliate or whatever. And they, we were working at athletic attic. They go, man, Beards is running the Boston marathon right now. I wonder how he's doing. And Peggy goes, I'm going to call over to Kello and see. And she calls over there and she goes, Hey, are, do you guys happen to get any feed from Boston? And the guy goes, yeah, we're sitting here watching it right now. Right. And she goes, really, what's going on? She goes, he goes, oh, it's, it's coming down to the last mile. It's Beardsley and Salazar. She goes, hey, Mike. Oh, my. Okay, oh. done. You're giving me goosebumps uh, right get, now. I'm going to start crying. And I go, what? And she goes, it's Beardsley <laughs> and Salazar. They're the only two left. And I'm going, oh, my God. You, oh, Dick's going to, you know, you're going to get first or second. And she goes, they're coming around the last corner, and they're even. And, and I'm, oh my god! And I'm thinking, and I told, I started yelling. I'm not shitting you. I said, <laughs> Dick is the best downhill runner I've ever seen in my life. I always said you can't have like swivel hips, you know, right. like, like a race walker. I don't know how you do it, but your hips just kind of <laughs> rotate or right. something like that. I go, Beards has got it. He he's gonna he'll win. He'll win. She goes, Salazar first, Beardsley second, two eight fifty. And I just sat there. I was exhausted. And I, right. and I tell you, the rest of the afternoon was a blur. I really I don't bet. remember. But we were so excited to get that result live. Yeah. Because we would have yeah. sat there just waiting. Wait, wait. Oh, oh Beers, I, I got to take a break here, bud. Oh, <laughs> I'm sweating. Done. I got to go take I'm, a shower. <laughs> I'm worn out, but done. Now, listen, a lot of things happened right after well, that race. Uh, Next week, we're going to get yes. into that. I was going to say, we're going to finish with the finish line. And if you go to the, uh, the website, uh, um, Beards and Dunpod, um, I've got some photos and there's some great photos off. You can go, you know, Google it, Google Boston 82, Dick Beardsley, and you'll see tons of photos. And I grabbed a bunch and it shows some finish line shots. It shows you an Alberto post finish line. We'll end up with this one. I think one of the most epic photos I've ever seen is you and Alberto on the podium, him, you know, they're, yes. they're raising his hand in victory and he grabs yours and raises yours up and, uh, on the podium. Yeah, with them. And, and the, and the guy that's signing off on the, that YouTube video goes, geez, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this before. Uh, and done, I don't think I've I'll, ever seen it before or since. I'll never, ever forget that. That's the one and only time a champion had ever done that. And since even, I think it was just mutual respect and, and I don't know, yeah. you know, we'll have to just guess. Well, we'll get that. into yeah, that next week. Beards, thanks so, bud. Oh, and, and I'm, we going up, thank everybody. I'm going up for a bike ride. Oh, well, we <laughs> want to thank everybody for listening. If you have any questions for Dunn and myself or comments about the show, you can please contact us directly at our website, beardsanddunpod.com or leave us a comment on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, now known as X, all at Beards and Dunn Pod. Of course, if you're on YouTube watching this, uh, hit the subscribe, you know, put a comment in there. We'd love to hear what you think of the podcast and, you know, if you have any questions or anything. And, and Beards, I cannot wait till we hear about, you know, post 
Boston finish line because I know I there's some either. great stories there. It's good. There's some great stories. And done. Happy retirement there, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. We'll talk to you next Catch week. Catch you soon. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.